Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burrigan campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Dear Lord God, as we sing about the person of Jesus, who is an example for us about what does it mean to live giving the Father the glory, someone who gave his life, who laid down his life, not only in in that, but gave up heaven to be on earth, to show us what living on this earth should really look like. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to just worship you, to proclaim these truths to one another, to remind ourselves of the things that we've known, but to bring it up to the surface, to the forefront of our mind, to help us understand our place in this world and where we relate to you. Lord, we pray as we continue to learn from your word today that there'll be more of you, less of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please take a seat. Well, it's wonderful to be with you today. Uh, my name is Craig Palmer. I'm privileged of being one of the pastors here at Mounties, uh, Young Adults and Discipleship. And uh, just want to say hello to those online as well. Great that you could be with us. A question for you to consider. You might have uh, remembered this growing up from an early age. You might have been thinking a dream of what your life was going to be like. You know, the things you aspired to do, the places you wanted to see, the relationships you hoped to experience. We often ask that question of children, don't we, that uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? A question actually Janelle and I ask each other sometimes when we're like, uh, you know, in our childish ways, and it's like, are we even old enough to have children? Who, who let us do that? Uh, but, you know, uh, I remember as a mid to late teen that actually uh, when people would ask me this question, you know, what do you want to do with your life? And I just said, I want to live a comfortable life. Now, if you were here last week, you would have known that that's not really a great way to look at life, but I was thinking not too much money, not too little, not too much hassle, you know, living within my means, doing the things I enjoy, nice friendships, good job. I thought that was actually quite noble and not too greedy of an aim. But God had plenty still to teach me. And so today, rather than being like my naive self, uh, we have an opportunity to take some wisdom from God's Word as we continue our Alive in the Spirit series in Acts. And two figures that we want to be looking at today are the people of Peter and John, two of the 12 apostles, the sent ones, who are appointed by Jesus to help uh, proclaim the good news of Jesus, but also lead people into the development of the early church. Now, do you think Peter and John ever expected that this is where their life would take them? Right smack bang in the middle of the tapestry of God weaving his church together. Now, Luke tells us in his gospel account of Jesus' life that Peter, uh, born named Simon, but Jesus gave him a nickname, and uh, Peter and John were actually fishing buddies and business partners and they probably had known each other from a very young age. And they're living in this small village on the lake of Gennesaret, or the Sea of Galilee. 
no particular note about that, that place. And uh, you can imagine them spending many hours while they're on their fishing boats waiting for fish to come in, kind of dreaming together. What is their life going to look like? Will it be ever more than just being in this fishing boat? But no matter how much they dreamed, I'm sure that they never knew that it would be as phenomenal journey as they experienced when they met Jesus on the side of that lake, that one fateful day for them. And so we capture in Acts the kind of wild journey that Peter and John went on with many others, that this promise of Jesus that he would give them the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses wherever they were, even to the ends of the earth. And they received that gift at the festival of Pentecost, and they began to proclaim the message of Jesus in languages that other people could understand that were in Jerusalem at the time. And when Peter was explaining to them what was going on, everyone's a bit freaked out by it, uh, the people were cut to the heart. They were convicted and they asked, what should we do in response to your message? And Peter led them to turn to God and be baptised. And at least 3,000 came to be followers that day. Peter and John were then part of helping this new community of believers gather together and find rhythms of being in the temple and their homes and sharing their possessions and worshipping together and learning together, keeping the fires of faith burning. Mim, a couple of weeks ago, she kind of narrowed in on a very specific story that Peter and John were a part of, an encounter where they saw a man who could not walk and they went up to him that day, and this man who was begging just for his survival money, his world was changed in an instant as he received healing. And before we dive into the aftermath that we see in Acts chapter 3 and 4 of that occasion, there's a key verse that I wanted to share with you that we'll speak more into later, but it captures the core idea of what I want to focus on today. Luke records these words from the perspective of the leaders of the Jewish uh, ruling court of the day. It says this, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now we see the courage that others witnessed. Unschooled, ordinary men, but they'd been with Jesus. What I hope that you will walk away from today with is an awareness and encouragement that when ordinary people live under the saving grace and perfect power of an extraordinary Jesus, amazing stuff happens. The course of someone's life, yours, mine, will be changed forever. So what kind of amazing stuff happens in these chapters? You might want to look uh, into your, the Word as you go along, Acts chapter 3 and 4 in your own Bibles. First of all, ordinary people and extraordinary Jesus produce this miraculous healing. You know, when Mim spoke about uh, this event, you know, kind of this divine meeting of this lame man uh, from birth, actually. He's carried to the temple uh, to beg as his usual practice, and Peter and John are also heading towards the temple for prayer uh, in the afternoon. Peter and John, they were kind of inspired by the Holy Spirit to kind of, there's particular attention to this guy that they must look at him. And they said, Peter said these words, 
silver or gold I do not have. He was begging. This man's begging, looking for money. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Peter and John, realising their lack of capacity, I can only offer you one thing, and it's the authority of healing in Jesus' name. And the result, like a miraculous healing in this man's life. And very quickly, the crowds around the temple, they, they come running to Peter and John. You know, and so Peter and John, they're forced to kind of step up and ask and explain themselves about, about what's happening. These guys were positioned perfectly. Ordinary people, but an extraordinary Jesus happen to give a reason for the hope that they had. They are compelled to share their truth courageously, a truth that stirred belief in the people listening. But at first, the crowd who was running up to Peter and John uh, to give them all the credit, Peter and John are like, nah, <laughs> we want to deflect the attention here. And they say in verse 12 of chapter 3, Fellow Israelites, why, do you, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? It's not our power. It's not our godliness, our, godliness, our holiness. It's nothing even in the guy who's being healed either. It's nothing special he's done to deserve this. It's all about Jesus. And he goes on to give this rousing speech. And rather than saying it straight, Peter builds his case. And first of all, he, he kind of goes in, you know, it's kind of a bit serious. And he says, there's an accusation against the people of Jerusalem. They actually ignored the signs that Jesus was sent by God. The same God their ancestors worshipped. Disowning Jesus sending the innocent Jesus, the holy and righteous one, the author of life, sending Jesus to his death. But of course, that was all in the plan, wasn't it? Death wasn't the end. Death was the opportunity for God to glorify his servant Jesus, it says, raising him from the dead. Peter explains uh, this healing to the uh, and he's coming to the climax of his sermon in verse 16 and says, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. Faith in Jesus' name, it's not special power in the word Jesus, it's not like a special spell. But faith in Jesus' name, in the faith of the one who died and rose as the defining climax of history. Faith in him, faith that comes through him. Jesus initiated and Jesus delivered faith. Peter goes on, you might have been a body of people who are implicated in the death of Jesus. He speaks to the crowd, but there's better options available to you. Like you were naive, and though you thought you were doing the right thing, God has a bigger plan. Peter passionately invites them into the kingdom of God with these words. Repent, which is turn from your way. Then turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. 
Stop going your own way and go God's way, Peter's saying. You'll find life there. Your sin's wiped out. I mean, just pause for a moment. Can you believe the reality of this? If you just take stock of your sins being wiped out, cleaned, washed away, no condemnation, the pain we have caused other people, the rebellion we have pushed away from God, and he says your sins will be wiped out. He says, times of refreshing will come. And I don't know about you today, could you do with some refreshing? Also the promise that as each person repents and turns to God's way, we become a step closer as they have a repentant heart to Jesus coming again one day, that we might be with our Creator perfectly for eternity. You know, Peter and John, they were instruments of healing coming to that man on that day. But they wanted to be clear that they were just ordinary people. But there was an extraordinary Jesus at work. As Peter spoke courageously, the truth dropped into people's hearts. And it says in Acts 4.4, many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. 3,000 earlier before, now up to 5,000. That's just the men let alone the families and the people connected to them. But not everyone was happy with that. As Peter shared this courageous truth, it also brought up resistance in people. He'd been drumming of excitement of the crowd, proclaiming of the power of Jesus to do amazing things, and it was ruffling the feathers of the religious establishment. The priests and the captain of the guard we read in Acts 4, uh, the temple of the guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John and while they were speaking to the people, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Yeah, the Sadducees, they kind of led this kind of uh, pushback, this resistance, and they were kind of a ruling class of wealthy aristocrats who were collaborating with the Roman rule. And they weren't looking for a Messiah. They believed, actually, you know, what we see on earth is what there is. There's no kind of eternity. So they didn't really believe in the resurrection of the dead. So they felt, actually, the Messiah had already, kind of that age had already begun about 200 years before. I won't go into the details of that, but they basically saw the apostles as agitators and heretics. And so rather than asking any questions, they arrested them and they've thrown Peter and John into jail and they brought them to the Jewish court the next morning called the Sanhedrin. And they asked the question of Peter and John, by what power or what name did you do this? Did you do this healing? In Jesus' final days after his resurrection, he had made the promise to his disciples that he will be with them always by his spirit. So we read in Peter's response in verse 8, chapter 4, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. 
Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind for which we must be saved. You want to know what power and name we do this by? The very person you rejected. The very person, actually, who should be the foundation of, the life, of your life. The one who could give you all that you need. Now, this stone the builders rejected uh, that got Jesus killed is actually the foundation on which our lives should be built. There is salvation found nowhere else, in no one else. But the question is, like, what are they being saved from? Well, they're being saved from a life that is self-dependent and self-determined. A life that is limited without the power and authority to really impact and reverse the separation from our Creator. That separation that occurred through the effects of sin and death in the world and in our individual lives. And by sharing this inspired truth about Jesus, Peter, he, he's not daunted, is he? He's sharing courageously whether it produces belief in the masses or resistance in the religious elite. This is where we come back to kind of this amazing uh, kind of observation by those watching on. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, unschooled in the sense of uh, they hadn't gone this kind of rabbinical training, you know, they weren't the trained people who were meant to be asserting such things. People didn't expect it from them to be saying good things with such power. And they were just ordinary people. They hadn't risen to a particular status or formal community rank. What was their right to speak these words? But they astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You know, Luke, the writer in this book of Acts, he kind of gives us this picture that actually this could be us. You know, we might not have done years of Bible college study or something like that, or, and we've, we've just done our best to follow Jesus as we are, where we are, but that didn't matter. These guys were fishermen. Jesus had brought them just a few years earlier from that place. But what Jesus had done in them made all the difference. Where there was resistance from the Sanhedrin, quickly they wanted to shut things down. There was another work going on into the community that was listening. You know, sometimes we can get discouraged in our society as we think publicly there's some resistance to the things of faith, or particularly the word church sometimes, that's seen as kind of an institution, a bit like a government department, that should mainly just look after you know, weddings and funerals and baptisms, and uh, you know, there's a survey that talks about people lean into this, that actually we should be doing things about good morals and maybe supporting the poor, and those are good things. But there's kind of held at arm's length, and there's a suspicion arising from sins that have become public and rightly need to be held accountable to. But the church is often not in a public discussion in a very um, appreciated way. 
There's resistance there. But I want to encourage you that there's another story at play in Australia. Just as we see in this story about Peter and John, although publicly the church might be under fire, privately people are still open to the invitation from those they know and care about, where the life of Jesus is really evident in them. The institution of the church might have taken a bit of a battering, but the private engagement through loving word and action is still very much alive. So please, do not give up hope. You might see public resistance, but don't prejudge people's personal reaction to the message of sharing about Jesus. In your discussions with your friends and workmates and family, rather than staying on points of theoretical theology and politics and philosophy, ask questions about what is really going on for them. Listen to their heart rather than trying to win an argument. In this story, Peter, he calls for a response from the crowd, but not from the religious elite. It's interesting to note, he's, he's reading the thirst. Where's the thirst coming from to actually go with this message about Jesus? A final point from this story. As ordinary people, Peter and John, with an extraordinary Jesus, just, it was a natural sharing that came up for them. You know, the religious guys there in the Sanhedrin, they're not sure what to do with Peter and John. And so they ended up talking about it and they're like, what are we going to do? You know, everyone knows that this healing has happened. I mean, we can't deny it. But we must command them to not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John replied courageously again, which is right in God's eyes? to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what has been seen and heard. You know, it's just bubbling up in them, isn't it? The good news to be shared. You will never believe what happened to me this week is kind of the, the way that they're stepping into it. And we see the crowds reacting in that way. Verse 21 to 22, after further threats, Sanhedrin let them go. And they could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. This is a funny bit, I reckon. They knew it was a miracle, for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. You know, to be so ancient and yet to be healed, it must have been a miracle. Ordinary people, extraordinary Jesus. I heard a story recently, I met a lady called Martina who comes here and she shared some of her story with me and she's given me permission to share it with you today. Early in her life, she'd experienced somewhat of a traumatic childhood, living with different family members who not particularly engaged with things of faith, but a, a seed was planted in her heart as she went to school and some religious studies in her early primary school. And she sought her identity in other places, and, but eventually she was married uh, to her husband. And at the age of 40, uh, he was a Christian, but she admits not really being totally connected to it, being a bit aloof from it all. But that was until 2009. 
Martina's son had had a car accident. The incident shocked her deeply about kind of the fragility of life. And even though her son was not hurt at all in the accident, she saw it as God's protection on her son's life. And this began, began in her a journey of faith with a simple prayer of God, here I am. She sought after God, but eventually her journey brought her here to Mount Pleasant four years ago. Earlier this year, Martina, she she took a step towards joining the Alpha course that was running here, and she wanted to get to know Jesus better, and and it came up into the week of the particular teaching was about physical healing from Jesus. Martina experienced some shocks to her system through a series of events about 18 months prior. Their beloved family dog had died, and she also had injured her back. This back pain actually brought with it debilitating headaches that joined uh, with along with some of her kind of existing tinnitus, like a ringing in the ears that she'd experienced. Martina, um, you know, she was receiving chiropractic and physio treatment, and there was medication also, but the back and pain, back pain and headaches they kept persisting, you know, particularly inflaming at night. And this resulted in kind of bad sleep and not really being able to surface until later in the day. Martina, she'd shared this with her discussion group and about her situation and her Bible study group. They'd been praying for her, uh, but they'd not yet seen a change. So here's the moment. After leeching, uh, listening to this teaching on healing, at that Alpha course, there was an invitation for those there with the words, there's some people who are ready to pray for you for healing in Jesus' name. You are welcome. You just need to ask. Martina, she shared with a fellow group member sitting alongside her that she was feeling a bit shy, but she did really want prayer. So he gave her a nudge and so she bravely stood and went for prayer. Little known to her at the time, but later be shared with her that the person she went to prayer for was feeling quite ordinary themselves. They'd come under a cloud of grumpiness and lacking a bit of faith what was what was going to happen, but they were relying that the extraordinary Jesus was going to do something well beyond what they felt like in that moment. So before praying, Martina, she shared some of her story. The person praying, they placed their hand on her shoulder, anointed her with oil, and together they began to trust Jesus for his powerful healing to both physical and any emotional linkages to those events 18 months prior. Over the next five minutes or so, Martina received this beautiful peace and calm. Came over, had warmth in her shoulder where the person praying had put their hand Jesus was at work, something was shifting. And glory to God that over the next seven to 10 days, headaches went from more subdued to eventually completely gone. The tinnitus, that didn't go away, but the distress of the headaches had completely dissipated. That's awesome, isn't it? But that's not all the story. There's another parallel story coming, being written at the same moment. Even before this time of healing for Martina, she'd been seeking about how could she serve God 
even with the limitation of her headaches. She kind of sat with these feelings of unworthiness, you know, that was sitting in her spirit as well. But Martina became aware of this opportunity to support a Fiona Stanley Hospital chaplain, Renee Shapcock, who's one of the members here, with this kind of initiative about these small stuffed fabric love hearts, which actually get given away to people who are in care or the families, uh, people that need reassurance and encouragement. And Martina had been dropping this off a week, uh, often basis up to the, the front reception there, those little fabric hearts. And the very day of this Alpha class on healing, I don't know if some of you remember, we, we ran a video here that actually spoke about the Ministry of Craft Connections at Burragoon. Ran it in the services, and there was an invitation for someone to join the team as Noel Lush was, she was stepping down from the role after many years of service. And Martina, she didn't hear that advert that morning because she was home kind of suffering from her headaches. Well, two paths came together as God weaved these events. A need and a person, not just any person, the right person. We've got a picture of Martina, second from the left, Within a week, the Mounties receptionist, Jane, lovely lady, if you come here during the week, she'd recommended to the team to approach Martina based upon her kind of love heart crafting. And Martina, she told me that as soon as she'd been asked, she knew in her heart, yes. She said, I had to go away and pray about it, but I knew, yes. <laughs> But Martina had been healed of her headaches that week, Alpha. What would have been impossible just a week before has now become possible. Just to get up early enough to be there on time for Wednesday mornings. You know, God's work brought ordinary people healing in the extraordinary name of Jesus. Freedom, service. You know, Martina, she's now serving in that Craft Connection team, connection team and living with a chance to love those who attend. And she's got this new physical freedom as well. Now, Martina, she would admit to saying that she's normally quite a shy person, and, but even just in the past week or so, she's been able to offer a simple prayer for those that have been troubled on that day. And she, she says this, God is helping her get over herself. <laughs> I reckon that's a cool thing. Ordinary people, extraordinary Jesus. The potential is huge. I gathered some photos together of people from this congregation during the week in their settings, other than when you get to see them on Sunday when they're all in their best. Um, here's some photos of ordinary people who know the extraordinary Jesus. Alistair and Edith Vane were loving people and being grandparents. Marissa Abbott studying social work at uni. We've got our new Brazilian friends, the Mirandas. Mary Ann, she's training of an engineer, but she's being full-time mum to her three girls, one born just in July. 
Reginaldo, an engineer himself for Halliburton. And we have Renee, a chaplain at Fiona Stanley. Ian Riggs, uh, Ian Riggs actually driving a big rig <laughs> at Moralga Creek. I've talked to Ian about the people, the guys he gets to talk with, and he's like a father figure on that mine site, listening to, to guys that are very confused about life. We have Julia serving in Infused Cafe with a passion to activate loving connection with our community. Naomi, OT with early start, occupational therapy, helping people uh, find ability in, in their area. Simon and Tom, electrician apprentices sweating it out. They've uh, got a few hot months ahead of them. And Claire, teaching, investing in young lives. Each person, ordinary people with an extraordinary Jesus with them. Mike Breen, a pastor and someone with a passion for discipleship, he says that churches should continually be considering how we can be following the lead of the apostles like Peter and John with these words, keeping the mission of God in the hands of ordinary people. It's not just for experts, for those who have got to a certain status. You know, mine, I said about my vision for life, to live a comfortable life as a, as a younger guy, but it was way too small, that vision. Comfortable life is a self-pursuit. It could be hollow and colourless, but a pursuit of an ordinary life changed by an extraordinary life lived with Jesus, that brings colour, that brings adventure, as always he intended. So in line with what the scriptures have taught us today, I want to extend two invitations of response to you today. The first is that there are going to be people at the front here during the last song and continuing after the service. And you might just have something very specific that you want prayer for. But also, maybe in these areas that I've spoken about today, for miraculous healing, to move from resistance to belief, or maybe even to be in your setting, in your vocation, share courageous truth. And as a church and as a pastoral team, we really desire that we would activate more prayer for one another in the life of our church in all the spaces, including during and after Sunday services. It's a very practical outcome of ordinary people, extraordinary Jesus, because we don't have to have the solution for one another. We can bring our, our hearts together and say, God, can you act in this situation? And I've shared the story of Martina, and she is well aware, uh, sorry, I've shared this story of Martina, and she's well aware of the extraordinary action that God has brought into her life, and she's blessed by it, and it builds her faith. And so I've actually asked Martina to be here with us in both services today to pray with us, with you. She's experienced something beautiful and freeing, and she's bravely willing to make herself available to stand and pray with anyone wanting it, particularly for healing. So I wanted 
to offer this uh, kind of two invitations today. Martina won't be praying alone. I said she's shy. We're not going to just throw her straight into the deep end. There's actually a team of people. And I'm going to invite those people I've spoken to to actually come forward now, if you would, to come and stand up the front here. Martina's going to be down here with Liesl, and there's others around. To be clear, Martina doesn't have any special powers. <laughs> she's just an ordinary person like you and me but she knows the reality of an extraordinary Jesus in her life in a very fresh way, just as Peter and John did. And as you've heard, like, you don't need to be an expert. Peter and John weren't. They just prayed a simple prayer for a guy, 40-year-old as he was, and he was healed. So before I invite you to receive prayer, I'd like to ask five or even ten of, up to ten of you, it'd be great, to actually be willing to pray alongside these, just as Martina is praying along Liesl. To be part of this prayer group, to be like Peter and John pairs to pray. Maybe you want to think about this if you've never done something like this before and maybe God's asking you in this moment to be willing to pray for others. So I'm just going to give you 15 seconds just to think. A simple prayer where you sit. Is this for me, God? Is this a step I need to take to pray over others? Now, just as Peter and John, Peter did most of the talking and John was quietly there, just a gentle presence there. I'm sure he did speaking, but we don't have it recorded. So we, these guys here are prepared to do the speaking, the praying out loud, but you are welcome to come and just stand alongside them and in a quiet presence, be praying with the people who come for prayer. So just take that time now. And if you feel that is what God's asking you to do, I want you to make yourself known to Jonathan Anthony over here, one of our pastors, and he'll direct you where to go. Over to my right, your left. Just wait upon God. Listen to his voice. And you might, you might be thinking, I can't do that. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to let Jesus do that in you. So thank you for those that have come down to join Jonathan. There's more than a couple at each space, that's fine. So we're going to sing a song together. 
the words, yet not I, but Christ in me. And these words, they encapsulate so much of the heart of Scripture. It says this, To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine, I can sing all is mine, yet not I, but Christ in me. So as the song plays, this is the second invitation for those of you who would love to receive prayer. You're welcome to come and be amongst these people here. They're ready to pray for you. Even if we can't come all at once, you might just want to stand in the front rows and we can pray, not just during this last song, but after the service. I invite you to come as the band leads us. Thank you. this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.